Good morning, Cornerstone Church family. In case this is your first Sunday here, I'm Pastor Bill Johnson. Well, even if it's not your first Sunday, I'm still Pastor Bill Johnson. I'm Pastor Bill Johnson, and I don't normally sit for sermons, but if you're new here, I had knee surgery six weeks ago, and I'm still recovering, and evidently I'll have a few more sermons where I get to sit down just like you guys. Um, I told myself, um, I've been telling myself for months that I would not... Um, talk too much about my upcoming retirement till it got closer to my final Sunday at Cornerstone. But as hard as I've tried, I just can't get out of my head that counting today, I only have nine more Sundays as your lead pastor. So my last Sunday as lead pastor here at Cornerstone will be July 9th. A bunch of the students will all be gone, but it'll be July 9th. And um, and a number of you have started asking, what am I going to be doing you know, after I retire? What will my post-retirement life look like? And just so you know, I'm going to get an email out to all of you fairly soon. Um, probably only nine months ago, maybe a little, maybe a year ago, um, when I thought about retiring, I just, it, it just freaked me out because I couldn't imagine what my life would be like if I wasn't pastoring. And, um, and then um, my, our denomination linked me up with a, a life coach who helped me think about my retirement. And I'm now at the point where I'm not freaked out by it. I'm actually super excited about what the Lord will do with me and in me and through me in my retirement. I'll get an email out to you all just saying some of that sometime in the next couple of weeks. Um, as I preached on Easter Sunday, because of the resurrection of Jesus, we know as followers of Jesus that the best is always yet to come. And so I'm absolutely convinced that the best is yet to come in my life, still ahead of me. I'm also convinced that the best is yet to come in your lives as followers of Jesus. And I'm convinced that the best is yet to come for Cornerstone Church. So in these next nine weeks, um, in the current preaching schedule, if things don't change, um, I'm scheduled to preach five more sermons. So I really can't help but think of what I most want to leave with you. Most of you know, if you've been around for a little while, you know that Cornerstone has been the most exciting and life-giving congregation I've pastored in over 40 years of ministry. And really, in appreciation of the last nine years of how Cornerstone has shaped me and fed me and fueled me, in appreciation, I want to leave you with, with some of the best that I can possibly think to leave with you. So over the next three weeks in this sermon series, the series is called Taking Ownership. And I want to talk today about taking ownership of our doing. Next week, I want to talk about taking ownership of our growing. And then in the third week, I want to talk about taking ownership of our transitioning because there will be a transition for us as a church with a new lead pastor, an interim, but there are transitions constantly in our lives, and I want to talk to you about ways that you can own the transitions so that you're not beat up by them, but you actually use them to help you grow more into who God wants you to be. So when I think of what has shaped my spiritual life more than anything else, on my part, not on God's part, because obviously it's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But when I think on my part, what has shaped my spiritual life more than anything else, it comes down to taking ownership. 
becoming more like Jesus, growing the fruit of the Spirit for me, has been the result of not being passive in my spiritual journey. So in my doctoral research on spiritual formation done before I came here to Cornerstone, I tried to find kind of expectable and predictable ways that God used to shape us to be more like Jesus. And one of the findings of my dissertation was that when Christians decided to own their spiritual journey, when Christians decided that it wasn't the church's job to help them grow or the pastor's job to help them grow, when Christians decided that it wasn't somebody else's fault when they got stuck in the journey, when Christians owned their spiritual journey, we found that they took leaps and bounds in becoming more like Jesus. And that was true in my life. When I owned my spiritual growth, when I stopped thinking it was, you know, the pastor's job or my mentor's job, when I owned my spiritual growth, when I decided that and finally realized that spiritual practices weren't just optional add-ons to the spiritual life, but they were essential, they were my part of the, the, my responsibility, I actually began a new chapter of walking with Jesus. So taking ownership means that our growing in Christ is not anybody else's job. It's our job. So I want to talk over these next few weeks about owning our, our, um, our doing, our growing, and our transitioning. So the scripture for this morning, it will make perfect sense to you. It's James chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. And James writes this. He says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, they're like a person who looks intently at their face in the mirror. They look at themselves and go away and at once forget what they were like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, they will be blessed in their doing. My motivation um, for this sermon series is really truly is that I want you, each and every one of you, I want you to be richly blessed by God in your life. I can't think of anything better than for you to live a gloriously blessed life and die a gloriously blessed death because you've let the Holy Spirit, you've created space for the Holy Spirit to transform you on the inside out where you can't transform yourself. So a little bit of background on these verses in James chapter 1. Um, it's a little bit um, hard to figure out. We're not 100% clear um, which James in the New Testament wrote the book of James because there are a number of Jameses. So if your name here is Jennifer or Grace or John, then that's sort of like being named James in the New Testament. Um, and, but there is some fairly good evidence to suggest that the book of James was actually written by James, the younger brother of Jesus. When we compare the book of James to um, James's speech that he gives in Acts 15, there's similarities in the way that, that things are said so that there's some good evidence or at least there's reason to possibly believe that the book of James was written by Jesus's younger brother. Think about that for a minute. Can you imagine growing up with Jesus as your older brother? 
Yikes. <laughs> you know, he's always perfect and you're not. Um, but there's a number of interesting things about the book of James. Um, first, the book of James is probably the earliest written book in the New Testament. Some debate again, we aren't 100% sure, but it seems like it was probably written between 40 and 50 AD within a decade of when Jesus lived and died and rose from the dead. Secondly, book of James contains more allusions to the teachings of Jesus than any other New Testament book. Just referring to the Sermon on the Mount, just that part of Jesus' teaching, there are 15 allusions in the book of James to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And what I read for our verse, and I'll read them in a few moments again, they are actually an exposition of how Jesus ended the Sermon on the Mount. Third, Book of James is known as the Proverbs of the New Testament because it focuses so much on living a life of wisdom where you see patterns and you change your behavior because of the patterns that you see. Number four, the writer of the book of, Hebrew, uh, book of James, we figure out when we read it that he's pretty powerful and persuasive. And he drives home his points with, with just poignant illustrations and a relentless passion. Just to give you an idea, this is some of what we get in the book of James. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God who gives generously, but ask believing and not in doubt. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Religion is worthless for those who do not keep a tight rein on their tongue. And I'm pretty sure that all of you know the teaching of James that faith without works is dead. Listen to how James says this. This is James 2, 14 to 17. What good is it if someone says they have faith but do not have works? Can that faith save them? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. He's a powerful preacher. And then the last kind of interesting thing, to me at least, about the book of James, is that James is absolutely passionate about justice. He gets really angry about showing any kind of favoritism. He wants to protect the rights of the poor from rich oppressors. And he just, he just will call a spade a spade. And if people are abusing other people, he will call them out. James is passionate about justice. And interesting, on that line, um, a passion for justice actually fits the character of James, Jesus' younger brother. His nickname was called James the Just. So let me read the passage for us one more, and then we'll, um, we'll wade into it. James 1, 22 to 25. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, they're like a person who looks intently at their face in a mirror they look at themselves and go away and at once forget what they were like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, the law of freedom, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, 
they will be blessed in their doing. I hope that as we look at this passage this morning, that we'll realize that the way to be blessed is to constantly have action steps of what we will do when we have heard from the Lord. We need both. We need to be hearers of the word and doers of the word. James's focus is on the doing, but we recognize that we must also, before we can do, we must hear the voice of God. So let's talk just very briefly about being hearers of the word. I hope you know, Cornerstone, how much I love you and how much I really passionately want you to live blessed lives. One of the first ingredients in living a truly blessed life is to be a hearer of God's voice. And as I come to the end of nine years here at Cornerstone, I want to plead with you to daily listen for God's voice. Listen to God for God's voice in, in the Word of God. Listen to God's voice in the Logos, or the Word, who is Jesus. To listen for God's voice as the Holy Spirit prompts you, because one of the first ingredients to living a, a truly blessed life is to be a hearer of God's word. Time and time again, God begs his people throughout the scriptures to listen. Listen to me. Come and hear me. God says, I spoke, but you refused to listen. Jesus says regularly in the gospels, let those who have ears to hear, let them listen. And then at the end of um, the parable on the soils, Jesus says, pay careful attention to how you listen. Listening attentively to the voice of God in our lives is a first ingredient to live a blessed life. Too many Christians miss out on too many blessings because we don't have sufficient commitment and practices in our lives to be hearers of God's voice. And the crazy thing about this this is absolutely 100% within our control. We're the ones who decide if we will be active listeners for God's voice or not. Each and every one of us can choose daily and actually moment by moment through the day to hear God's voice or not. We can do some form of scripture intake on a daily basis maybe not reading the scriptures, maybe listening to scriptures read or, or memorizing scripture or listening to, to scripture worship songs, we can choose to do that. We can concentrate on listening for the voice of Jesus through the Gospels. We can be attentive when the word is preached on Sundays. We can engage in spiritual discussions with our friends and small groups around hearing the voice of God. We can share with our spiritual friends what we hear from the Lord. We can pay careful attention to how we listen. I love the prophet Isaiah. He talks about this in Isaiah 50, verses 4 and 5. Isaiah says, The sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. In other words, Isaiah says, God's given me the ability to know what, what to say to encourage people, what to say to uplift them, what to say to help people get to a better place. The sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. And then he says, how? He says, the sovereign Lord, he wakens me morning 
by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears, and I've not been rebellious. I have not drawn back. You and I can wake up every single morning, and before our feet get out of the bed, we can say, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let me hear your voice today. Not just once or twice, but let me hear your voice throughout this day. We actually can daily awaken our ears to listen for the word and the will of God. But this said, James's main point in these verses is that hearing is not enough. Hearing the voice of God, listening to the Logos, who is Jesus, attentiveness to the prompts of the Holy Spirit is where we start. But James wants us to realize that listening without doing is foolishness and self-deception. Every believer who does not respond to what they hear from God are like that person who looks in the mirror and then they walk away passively unchanged. They don't remember anything. The mirror, they get a clear picture of what they are, and they turn around, and poof, it's gone. And they live lives of self-deception. Everybody else in their lives knows that they're shallow. Everybody else knows that they're missing the mark. Everybody else knows that they're not being the people that God has created them to be. But those who are hearers only and not doers, they just forget and live in this self-deception. May we never ever forget that faith without works is stone cold dead. So let's talk about owning our doing. Verse 25 says, those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. Jesus says it at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, but he also says it in John 13 when he has washed the disciples' feet. And he says this, he says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do these things. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 2, it's not the hearers of the law who are righteous, he says. It's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God. Lots of people hear, but the doers of the law who will be justified. And then the Apostle John in 1 John 3, says, Dear children, let us not love with words and tongue, but with actions and in truth. The way to avoid living in self-deception is to own our doing. Because it's not knowing that makes progress. It's practice that makes progress. Doers of the word commit to actively respond to the voice of God by always, 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 always coming up with action steps when they have heard the voice of God. They do something in response. Hearers only, they listen to a lifetime of sermons and podcasts and go to small groups, and they hear and hear and hear and hear and live in self-deception. Doers constantly ask, what will I now do with what I have just heard from God? So how do we move from being hearers only to being doers of the word? And I want to make this really, really practical. I don't want to talk about doing because then we're just hearing it again, right? 
Let's do something about doing. So right now, what I want to do with every one of you individually, all together, is I want to do a coaching session with you to give you a rubric to move from hearing to doing. So um, take out your phones. Try not to get distracted and answer your texts and emails. Take out your phones. Open an email to yourself or a document for yourself. Or if you're, you have your journal and you're taking notes in the sermon, you can write it in your journal. But open up that document or that email because I'm going to ask you a number of questions to give you a rubric to move from hearing to doing. And by the way, we're going to use this rubric in each of the next two sermons as well because I want you to become so familiar with it that it, it becomes intuitive for you. Bottom line, everything's going to come down to, duh, intentional action steps. Everything's going to come down to intentional action steps. After every sermon that you ever hear, after every podcast that's about the things of God, after small groups, after spiritual conversations, this rubric is, is designed to enable you to not just get stuck but to do something with what you hear from the Lord. So echoing Jesus in John 13, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. A man by the name of Keith Webb, who wrote the book, The Coach Model for Christian Leaders, he says it this way. He says, insights without action steps are just nice ideas. So in that document on your phone right now, the first question in the rubric from moving from hearing to doing, first question is simply, what? And it, it's this, what have I just heard from the Lord? After every message, after every spiritual conversation, we can ask that question. What have I just heard from the Lord? It gives clarity on the content so that, so that you hear something that doesn't, doesn't just float away. I've had times in my life where, where I, you know, in the morning I have a, I have a time in the Word or, or a devotional time, and I'm just kind of blown away with something God says to me. And by 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I go, wait, God said something earlier, but I can't remember what it was. The what question gives us clarity as to what God has just said to you in a particular moment. And when, when you ask the what question, make it personal. Make it personal. Don't make it content and knowledge. That may be a part of it, but make it personal. I can't, I can't tell you how many times I've been listening to a message by somebody, and God kind of nudges me and says something to me that has almost nothing to do with what the preacher was preaching. There have been times where they'll, they'll say, open up your Bibles and read, and I'll get to the end of it, and the preacher will stop reading, and I'll read like the next three verses, and the Holy Spirit will say, this is what you've got to hear from me this morning. So over the years when somebody says to me, thank you, Pastor Bill, for the main point of the sermon, I never assumed that I know what the main point of the sermon was for them. Because what the Spirit says to you may have something that is just for you in that moment. It'll probably be prompted or connect to something you heard in the message. But when you ask the what question, I want you to ask, what did I hear from the Lord specifically for me right now? All right, I'm going to give you about 90 seconds to answer the what question for this message today. What are you hearing from the Lord for you right now? What's the main thing that you feel like God wants you to take away from this message? And jot it down in your, um, in your phone or in your journal. I'll give you about 90 seconds.
30 more seconds. All right, the what question is usually not that complicated. Most of you, something popped into your head if you just paused long enough and, and said, Lord, what do you want me to take away from this? So the what question, make sure it's personal. The second question in the rubric of moving from hearing to doing is, so what? This question's gonna clarify why what you heard from God matters to you in your life right now. There are times when God says stuff to me that's for in 10 years from now, but most of the time when God says something to me, it's for me right then, in that, in that moment, in that hour, in that day. The so what clarifies why it matters to you. And just so we're clear, I'm not asking you why should it matter to you. I'm not, because Guilt and shoulds are not long-term motivators. I want to know why it actually, truly would matter to your life right now. And I want this to be personal as well, because if it's not personal, it's probably not going to get traction in our lives. So look for a so what answer that intrigues you or encourages you or challenges you or comforts you or in some way gives you energy. So you hear from a, a word from the Lord, you clarify what it is, and you ask, so what? What, what does this, what difference is, why would God give me this? And so I'm going to give you another 90 seconds to respond to that question. So what? Why is God wanting you to hear this right now in this moment? About 20 more seconds. I hope you're getting how moving from hearing to doing means you have to actively engage, not necessarily with the preacher, but with the Holy Spirit in that moment. So first question, what? Second question, so what? Third question, now what? Now what are you supposed to do with it? This is where we get action steps so that we never ever hear from the Lord without responding to the Lord. And this is just one or two or maybe three ideas. Usually you can't even do three. Usually it's one idea of what you can do this week or this day in response to what God has just said to you.
And I want to encourage you, make it personal again. Make this creative. Find action steps that you haven't thought of before. I don't know how often I talk to people and, you know, we get to a point in the conversation they say, I just need to read my Bible more and pray more. And if that's your only prescription, 99% of the time in your life to anything that's going on, it's probably not working for you. It might be good for what it's doing, but I want to encourage you, be more creative. There are all kinds of ways that you can do the things that God invites you to do. So what's something creative or fun, or maybe even daring? Or what's something that might be scary that you could do in response to what the Lord has said to you in that moment? The more creative and challenging and edgy it is, the more likely you're actually going to get to do it. So this is your 90 seconds now. The question now is, now what? One or two action steps that you can take in response to what you're hearing from God right now in this message. About 20 more seconds. Now, we're not quite done with that question, now what? Because there's, there's another step that most of us need to take when we come up with our action steps. And that is, we have to smarten up our action steps. If you've done any reading on personal growth, you know what smart goals are, what smart action steps are. Bottom line, stupid goals and stupid action steps, they're vague, you can't measure them, they're unrealistic, they're irrelevant, and they never get into your schedule. A deceptively stupid action step for this sermon would be something like, I'm going to listen and do more with what I hear from the Lord. Sounds great, but it's stupid. It's not measurable. It's not time-stamped. I haven't connected it to my heart and soul, so it's not relevant to me. All it is is a good intention without a plan of action, which is the road to hell, if you remember your mother saying that to you. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. It is the road to self-deception, to have these vague ideas. And Satan loves when we have spiritual-sounding vague goals and action steps, because he's kind of made us feel content, but he's pretty confident it's never going to get into our lives. So 
What are smart action steps? You can look this up on the web. A smart action step is first specific. It's got to be clear and unambiguous. Secondly, it's measurable. So we know whether we did it or didn't do it. Third, it's attainable. And what they talk about there is it's challenging, but it's realistic, OK? It's not too simplistic, and it's not too challenging. It's somewhere in the middle of challenging, but it's actually possible. Next, SMART goals are relevant, which means they matter to you. They don't have to matter to me. They don't have to matter to the people around you, but they have to matter to you. And then lastly, SMART goals, SMART action steps are time-stamped. They go into your calendar on a specific day at a specific time. If you will smarten your spiritual action steps, you will start to see that God starts revealing more and more and more and more to you, and you start living in greater and greater wisdom and greater and greater freedom, as opposed to passively sitting around for the next 10 years and listening to hundreds of sermons with good intentions and no action. So a better action step for a sermon like this is specifically after lunch at 3 o'clock today, I'm going to take 15 minutes and reflect on what I heard from God in the sermon. I will choose one action step that gives me the most energy. I will put it in my calendar twice this week. And next Saturday morning, I'm going to take 15 minutes to evaluate my progress. All right. That's actionable. You can tell whether you do that or not. It actually gets into your life. And you know what? I don't think God cares how often we, we hit 100% on our action steps. I think he just wants us making progress, which means that approximate steps over the decades of your spiritual life will make you men and women of God that you can only dream of right now. All right, last question in the rubric from owning our doing. And by the way, it's really bulky when you break it down like this, but over the next couple of weeks, I hope it's going to get to be a little bit intuitive to you. I hope that it'll get intuitive enough that you will be discontent hearing anything from the Lord without coming to conclusions and something into your schedule. Last question for the rubric of owning our doing is, now who? Who can help me with this? We don't grow very well in isolation. We don't grow very well on our own. We grow really well in friendships and in community. On our own, we get stuck. We get bored. We get complacent. We get distracted. We get overly content with mediocre lives. After every message that we hear from the Lord, when we've walked through this rubric, I think a really good last question is, now who can I share this with that can help me? And I have to tell you, that's another one of those factors in my life that has transformed me incredibly. Throughout my life, I have been committed to have accountability partners that meet with me and, and I open up my life. I talk to them about what I'm hearing from the Lord, where I'm failing, and they help me stay on track. My good accountability partners over the years are, are men who will ask me questions that, I, that are uncomfortable for me They'll ask me about the stuff that I'm not doing well. So one of them was a, um, this back when we were in Panama. His name is Tito. Um, 
He listens to our messages every once in a while. So Tito, if you're listening, hi. Um, Tito's a Chinese Panamanian guy. And, um, and I always refer to him as the greatest accountability partner I've ever had. Ten years we were together. And I would be just humming along, da 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 And Tito would every once in a while say, wait, 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 wait. Back that truck up. And then he would ask me a piercing question of something that I'd somehow, sometimes intentionally, but lots of times unintentionally, glossed over. So the last question in the rubric is now, who can help you? And um, if you will get the pattern in your life of regular accountability partners, as a matter of fact, um, another one of my partners listens in every once in a while. Roger, if you're listening, hi to you too. Um, Roger and I met for five years every Monday afternoon to give an account to each other of what was going on in our week. If you will find accountability partners like that, again, you will start to live lives of greater significance and greater depth. So this is the rubric. It's not complicated, okay? What? Clarifying what you heard from the Lord. So what? Why does it matter to you? Now what? What am I going to do about it? And now who can help me in my doing? So, in conclusion, knowing doesn't lead to growing. Knowing's necessary, but it's not sufficient. Most of you know way more than you need to know, and most of us are not growing in proportion to our knowing. Knowing does not lead to growing. Information alone seldom changes our minds or our behavior. It's doing that leads to growing. It's practice that makes progress. I actually wish that I could meet with every single one of you after every single sermon you hear on every single Sunday of your life. But that's not the way life works. God didn't design it to work like that because no one else can take ownership of your doing other than you. We have to take ownership ourselves. We must resolve again and again and again and again for the rest of our lives that we will not accept a passive spirituality of listening without doing. Let's refuse to be hearers of the word only and commit anew to being doers of the word. And so I just want to leave you with this. Essential to being blessed by God is, take ownership, is to take ownership of our doing because then and only then can we live lives of wisdom and beauty and joy and goodness and glory. Let's pray. Father, sometimes it feels like the spiritual life is just incredibly hard. But I like how Dallas Willard reminds us that if we think that the life of the follower, devote, devoted followers of Jesus is hard, try to live a life of half devotion to Jesus. That's what's really hard. And so, Jesus, we remember you telling us that your burden is light and your yoke is easy. But only if we join you, only if we partner with you in the ways that you want to transform us. And Father, I'm not going to meet with every person here every Sunday for the rest of their lives, 
but I would love to in eternity meet with every person hearing this message to hear how they have joined you in letting you transform them from the inside out to be people of beauty and goodness and wisdom and glory. Thank you that you have made this part of the journey so accessible to every single one of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.